Welcome from all of us at Albuquerque Reformed Church, a particular congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church located in New Mexico. We thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. For more information about Albuquerque Reformed Church or to contribute to its ministry, visit abqreformed.org. And now, we invite you to open your Bible and listen to the preached word. Let me ask you this uh, question. Do you desire to become great in the sight of men? Do you desire to be great in the sight of men? You may say no, but uh, most, uh, I think, uh, most people in the world, uh, at a deeper level, at a very subconscious level, uh, they want to they want to appear as great in the sight of men. And people do all kinds of things to appear great in the sight of man. And that's that's the reality. A good number of people want to become great, want to appear great in the sight of man. But do you ever, uh, have you ever wondered uh, what it means to be great in the sight of God? What it means... To be great in the sight of God. We are in uh, Luke uh, chapter 9. And the big thing which uh, we have seen in this chapter was the transfiguration of Jesus. Transfiguration of Jesus was a glimpse of the glory of the Son of God, which he always enjoyed with his Father in the eternity past. And in his incarnation, he had veiled that glory. But we saw in this uh, chapter that Peter, John, and James were privileged to see the glory of the Son of God in their Humanity in their flesh, they were in their mortal bodies, they were able to see the glory of Lord Jesus Christ. Now, from verses 37 to 62, Luke shows shows us five needs of anyone who claims to be a disciple of Lord Jesus Christ. That means there are five things you need to keep in mind if you claim to be a disciple of Lord Jesus Christ. Or we can also say these are the five mistakes which believers often make. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you must give attention to these five things. uh, And that is Luke shows us in verses 37 to 62. The first thing is your need for Christ and his cross to be your main focus. If you are a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian believer, then Christ and his cross has to be your main focus. The second need is for you to have humility before God. The third need is for you to be charitable to others. The fourth need for you is your willingness to leave vengeance to God. And the fifth need for you is to count the cost as you follow Christ. Last week, we looked at the first need the disciples were lacking in their discipleship. 
they were with Christ all this time, but they were lacking their faith in him and cross was not their main focus. Today, we are going to look at two other mistakes which the disciples of Christ make and which we also make. So, initially, my question was that what it takes, what it takes uh, for what it will take for you to be great in the sight of God. The first thing Luke shows us that greatness before God by way of humility. That means those who humble themselves, those who are in Christ Jesus and those who humble themselves, they are great in the sight of God. And we are going to look at this truth from verses 46 to 48. Now, what is the setting here? Luke shows us that there arose among them a dispute as to which of them would be greatest. Or in other words, who would be prominent among them? But why did this discussion arise at all among the disciples? Most uh, likely because they have not understood the cross till now. After Peter's great confession uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus clearly told them that he is going to suffer and he is going to die on the cross. Then again, after he cast out the demon from the boy, he told them that he is going to be betrayed. And that's what we saw last time in uh, verse 44, that Jesus told them, let these words sing down in your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But still now, the disciples have not got it. They are slow to learn. Instead of uh, thinking about the cross, they were thinking about reigning with Christ. And all the fun they would have. They were thinking that Jesus was going to set up his earthly kingdom. And within their lifetime, and they are going to reign with him. And they were, uh, they were uh, uh, almost like possessed or overcome with this thought. And the cross was not their main focus. And I think uh, Peter, John, and James, they were the culprit here. Because they might have bragged to the remaining disciples of their experience with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yes. They might have said that only they got the opportunity to be with Jesus on that mountain and hence they are more prominent among the rest. Peter might have said that he was more prominent than others as only he spoke when two others were afraid on that mountain. They did not even open their mouth but Peter opened his mouth. John might have said, Peter, shut your mouth. Jesus loves me more than anyone else. I'm very close. I'm very dear to him. And, and hence, I am more prominent than the rest. We don't know what exactly uh, everyone spoke, but everyone wanted to be the greatest. They wanted to be the main person once Jesus comes in his glory. At the root of all of this is pride. Pride says, I am the best and the rest is last. Pride says, I will rather than God's will. Pride says, either my way or highway. If, the, if things are not according to my way, then tata bye-bye. Jesus had told them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And that involves dying to your pride. That involves dying to yourself and living unto God. But it looks like the disciples did not learn their lesson. 
everyone wants to be prominent everyone wants to be greatest among all luke shows us that jesus took a little child and sat by him and said whoever receives this little child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me for he who is least among you will be great the first thing which you notice here is jesus love for the little children his love for children if jesus had to give a lesson in humility he took a little child to himself i think he pulled uh, this child to himself and wrapped uh, his arm around him jesus loved little children and i think the safest place for a little child is next to himself is around his arms the safest place for a little child is beside him jesus welcomed little children when the temptation among his disciples was to ignore them matthew in his gospel records this incident where the parents of little children were bringing to jesus and the disciples tried to hush them yes. thinking that uh, that all this knowledge that or the gospel or the jesus stuff is only for the big people or the old grown up people and they try to hush them and sometimes we could be very well like them we could have all the church programs for the older those who are grown ups and hardly we may have anything for the children for the little ones and we may neglect our children especially those who are little ones but the gospel shows us that jesus welcomed little children and not only he welcomed them but he cared for them dearly he cared for their well-being he loved them so much that uh, uh, one gospel writer shows us that whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea you may say that that is brutal that if you tie millstone around a person and you drown that person that is brutal but jesus loved little children he loves and he cares for them he cares for their well-being he cares for their uh he he cares for their spiritual needs their moral needs and in another place he says take heed that you do not despise one of one of these little ones for i say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father in heaven there are angels in heaven who there are, there are angels in heaven who keep a watch over these little children jesus cares for the little children and luke shows us that he took a little child and set him by him and i hope and pray that uh, in the days and months to come that we would have many children we would have many children that god would bless this congregation with uh, many young families and with many children and we would have a full fledged sunday school program for them and and this is the way we receive little children this is the way jesus teaches us to receive little children the disciples were all lost in their quest for prominence but jesus pointed them to the little child he was holding beside him 
little children are uh, cute, uh, funny, uh, innocent, and uh, playful. And sometimes it is not easy to connect with them. It's not everyone's cup of uh, tea to connect with little children. It takes a great deal of humility to connect with them. Uh, to connect with them and to be gracious to them. But this is what exactly Jesus calls his disciples to do. They were to receive little children in his name. In other words, what they thought was least insignificant. They might not have thought about children, that they have to deal with small children, they did, that they need to minister to small children. But Jesus called them to receive little children in his name. They were to receive little children in his name. In other words, what they thought was least significant, Jesus called them to do that exactly. And Jesus says to them that whoever receives them, receives him. And whoever receives him, receives the Father. Everyone wanted to be the greatest. But Jesus says that who is least among them will be greatest among them. The true greatness lies in being the least for the kingdom of Christ. The true greatness lies in being the least for the kingdom of Christ. In other words, true greatness lies in being loving and compassionate to those who are considered least in the society. True greatness lies in willing, in your willingness to let go of one's pride for the sake of serving the least. And Jesus shows us that he did exactly the same. Philippians 2 shows us that Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That means he was equal with God, but at the same time, even though he was equal with God, but he did not hold on to that advantage as something to be grasped. But he was willing to let go of that glory for a time by making himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Then he humbled himself even to the point of death to save his people. Today morning, the Spirit of God shows us that he who is least among you, among you all, will be greatest, will be great. That means, my dear brothers and sisters, you should be willing to be least for the kingdom of God. You should be willing to be least for the kingdom of God. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself and he was exalted above all powers. Above all powers. In his name, one day every tribe, tongue and nation, they will bow their knee before him. Greatness before God by way of humility. Greatness before God by way of humility. Now, greatness before God by way of charity. Look at verses 49 and 50. Look at verse 49. Now, John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. 
Now, this is John, the brother of James, the son of Jebdi. When we look at the portrait of these two brothers, we do not get a very positive picture, uh, especially in their initial days. They both appeared as someone who were ambitious, uh, sectarian, and not so charitable. Uh, in Mark chapter 10, we see James and John asking Jesus to do for them whatever they ask. Jesus asked them what they, what they wanted him to do for them. Ideally, they should, uh, they should have asked for more grace, more grace in prayer or grace in ministry, or they should have asked uh, about the person and work of the Messiah. When you meet Jesus, uh, that's more profitable. That's what uh, you ask. But what do they ask? They ask Jesus to grant them that they may sit at his right hand and, and on his left in his glory. Jesus said to them that they do not know what they are asking. To be on the right and on the left before his exaltation was to hang beside him on the cross. And if Jesus would have granted their request, then they would have hung beside him. And I don't think that this is what they were looking for. But Jesus said to them that to sit on his right hand and on his left hand was not his to give, but it was for those for whom it was prepared. And when they saw that their request had been denied, Matthew 20 shows us that they sent their mother to Jesus with the same request. I mean, these brothers were ambitious. There are better things to ask from Jesus, but they just wanted prominence. Just wanted prominence. Now, we don't know why John suddenly came up with this comment here, but he says uh, in verse uh, uh, 49 that, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Uh, John and the other disciples had a problem with someone who was casting demons in the name of Jesus, and he and others forbade him from doing so. Now, we don't know the exact identity of this man. We don't read his name. Perhaps he was someone who sat under, under the uh, preaching and teaching ministry of Christ and, and was converted under his ministry. And looks like he was not part of the company of Jesus. But one thing we know is that he was, uh, he was able to cast demons in the name of Jesus. But there is a great irony here. There is a great irony here, especially if you uh, look at the preceding verses from uh, verses 37 to 42. The disciples forbade him from casting out demons in the name of Jesus, but these are the same disciples who are not able to cast out demons. We looked at last time that disciples tried to cast out demons. And what happened? They were not able to cast out demons. And Jesus indicted them saying, Faithless, you faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? And bring your son here. And what an irony here. The ones who were not able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus were forbidding the one who was able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. What we see here is an uncharitable and sectarian spirit among the disciples. They were not prohibiting this man from doing what he was doing, 
because he was a false teacher or a heretic or he was teaching some kind of uh, uh, false doctrine. He was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. But the disciples prohibited this man from what he was doing because they had a sectarian spirit. Sectarianism majors on us versus them. Rather than rejoicing in the truth, it is almost equivalent to idolatry when the group or the clan is above everything else, whatsoever it may be, even if it is at the cost of divine truths. Sectarianism blinds people from their obligation to love their neighbor as themselves. It justifies even the worst possible harm a group of people do to others. It assigns false motive to others. It assigns false motive to others. Now, we could exactly have the same spirit as the disciples. In our zeal without knowledge, we may censor everyone who is not part of our church or our denomination. I think sectarianism is one of the greatest plague the church has suffered from the past 2,000 years and destroyed millions of people. Now, I'm not saying that we should not stand for the truth when it is very clear, clearly shown in the scripture. We should be passionate about truth because it is God's truth. It is not our truth. But sometimes we condemn people just because they, don't, they do not wear the same uniform as we, we wear and fight in our, in our regiment. Sometimes we condemn other Christians, even though there are many things which we could agree on together, like the divinity of Christ, his virgin birth, his resurrection, his miracles, the absolute authority of scriptures over all of life and the gospel. There are many things which we could agree with other people, but sometimes us versus them or the sectarian spirit blinds our eyes into seeing uh, into seeing uh, good things among others. J.C. Ryle says the plain truth is that we are all ready to say we are the men and wisdom shall die with us. We are the men and wisdom shall die with us. We forget that no church on earth has an absolute monopoly of all wisdom and that people may be right in the main without agreeing with us. We must learn to be thankful if sin is opposed and the gospel priest and the devil's kingdom pulled down, though the work may not be done in exactly the same way we like. We must try to believe that men must be true-hearted followers of Jesus Christ and yet for some wise reason may be kept back from seeing all things in religion just as we do. Above all, we must praise God if souls are converted and Christ is magnified. No matter who the preacher may be and to what church he may belong, happy are those who can say with Paul, If Christ be preached, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. And with Moses, are you jealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Jesus condemns sectarianism which divides his body. Jesus said, Do not forbid him for for he who is not against us is on our side. In other words, he may not be part of our group. He may not be perfect in his understanding, but do not forbid him. 
He who is not against us is on our side. We are fighting the same battle. You must be charitable to him and let him do his work. And this is the same teaching that comes to us. Christ calls us to be gracious to be others. Christ calls us to be gracious to others. He calls us to be charitable to others. And even when others differ with us, or even when they do not have the same opinion, you should be charitable to others. The Lord calls you to be charitable and gracious because He was gracious and charitable to us. Scripture shows us that we were enemies. We were His enemies. We hated Him. But He was kind to us. He did not deal, deal with us according to our sins. He was gracious to us. The way to true greatness before God is by being humble and charitable before Him, as Jesus humbled Himself to the point of death. And He endured the cross even for those who were His enemies. The way of cross is to die yourself and to live unto His glory. The way of cross is to die unto yourself and to live unto His glory. May the Lord help us as we meditate on these truths. Let me close this time in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the truths which uh, we see in your word week after week. Well, Lord, we pray that uh, you would give us the same heart which was in Christ Jesus that he humbled himself uh, even to the point of death. Lord, we pray that uh, we would be meek and humble uh, before you. And Lord, uh, we pray that uh, we would be loving to those uh, who are uh, who differ from us, who are different from us, and who have different opinion from us. As our Lord is much patient with us and kind and merciful to us. He is ever merciful to us and he ever receives us even though we have many faults. We pray that uh, you would create a clean heart in us and you would continue to work in us and you would renew our heart and mind. We ask this prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you were blessed by this sermon, we invite you to visit us at abqreformed.org, where you'll find more information about our ministry. We look forward to you joining us again, online or in person. Until then, may peace, comfort, and grace be given to you through our Lord Jesus Christ.